This is Docera Digest Podcast, breaking down health concepts. This podcast is brought to you by Docera Life Center. This innovative clinic is finding new solutions to the evolving challenges mankind faces in the 21st century. By utilizing cutting-edge technology and testing, they find root causes and also offer treatment with energy and nutrition. What is the mission? To dynamically change lives for the better while impacting families for generations. The information shared directly or indirectly in the Docera Digest podcast is not to be understood as or misconstrued as medical advice. This information is not a replacement for your current health provider who is acutely aware of your current health state and course of treatment. Any information shared about a product or service discussed by any host or guest on this podcast is not to be interpreted as a doctor-patient relationship. I'm Dr. Kyson Frank. Welcome to another episode on mold. Today we're going to be talking about the neural emotional aspects of mold. We're also going to be talking about where you may get exposed to this in your life and how it may affect you and how you respond or act in these certain environments. So the prevalence of mold is all over the place. The EPA says that about 75% of buildings in the United States are water damaged buildings or can have the potential to be sick buildings which means that about 50% of all buildings they're estimating are sick buildings in the United States. So this can be from your gyms, your hospitals, schools, even the prison systems. All these different things can have a mold aspect to it. And we're going to go over a little bit here today on um, how these things can affect your emotions, affect your mood, affect your ability to focus, to be able to do what you need to do in these environments uh, appropriately. And so I'm going to let some of the other guys go into a little more details on that. But I want to kind of talk about, uh, first of all, schools. So according to the EPA, mold in schools is a major issue. And there's a lot of things here. So on their website here, there is an issue called mold and moisture, double trouble for schools. And so they go through a list of things that they need to do in all schools or that's recommended. And I'm going to kind of read through these because these are uh, great for understanding what needs to be done in schools, but also things to consider when we're looking at even our own homes. So all showers and other moisture generating sources should be vented to the outside. Control humidity levels and dampness by using air conditioners and dehumidifiers. So if you're in a part of the country that has a very humid, uh, a high level of humidity, you may want to consider having a dehumidifier as well to take the moisture out of the air. Uh, Use exhaust fans whenever cooking, dishwashing, or cleaning foods and service areas. So, again, keeping the kitchens clean here. So, um, one of the other things that I want to talk about here is prisons. Now, this is interesting, and I became more aware of this because I have a patient who is a prison guard, and he has major mold issues. I go, well, where are you going to expose this at? He goes, oh, yeah, because I know exactly where it is. It's this one hallway in the prison, the main one there. You can see it all over the ceiling, and we're all exposed to it there. Now, as we talk about this in a little more depth than we, uh, how these things can affect your mood and, and rage, I think you're talking about mold rage a little later, Dr. Craig. Mold rage isn't a good thing to have in prisons. It's a powder keg waiting to happen. This is like a spark. And we're not just talking about the inmates. We're talking about even the guards, you know, because, and as we talk about mold rage a little later, you understand why this could be a bad situation or make things even worse and can create all kinds of issues. So there's a, um, this is from prison legal news, a website here, and it's talking about the chronic presence of it 
in these prisons and stuff. And it goes through and it goes into a lot more depth talking about the new litigation involving mold and mildew. Sick building syndrome syndrome is becoming increasingly prevalent. The newer gels, newer buildings appear to be more prone to mold and sick building problems because they are airtight with more air conditioning and heating systems recirculating the same contaminated air all throughout the prison. So even if you only have it in one hallway, it's still being picked up and recycled and spread throughout the entire prison. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you may see the mold, you do have the spores that are being spread, which are toxic, which can affect, affect the entire population here. So this is this is a big problem, and they're seeing it. And, and it goes through the list, um, a whole bunch of different places on here of different articles, different situations. Oklahoma, West Virginia, Florida, California, New Mexico, Missouri, Louisiana, Georgia, Pennsylvania, just to name a few of the ones that are all having uh, lawsuits filed against them in litigation because of what it's doing to these inmates there and creating more issues. The other one that's a big one that we see a lot of is actually in hospitals. So uh, 2019 ABC News had an article that linked six deaths in hospitals to mold. And this is very interesting because it can cost a facility up to $60,000 to deal with a case of mold in their building. And so it's very um, heavy in cost to deal with it. But the fact that hospitals have so much more plumbing and so many more avenues for moisture to leak and the level can go up through the roof here. So um, it's something called HAIs or healthcare associated infections. These are infections you get through a healthcare system and they are a major problem that they're trying to deal with. And so it's trying to get all these things cleaned up. So whether you're in the hospital, you can actually get sick with something else. Whether you're in prison, which I hope not, you can have a, and you may be a guard, like one of my patients, you may be getting exposed to all kinds of other things that may be making things worse for you. Not just on an emotional level, but also on a mental level to build focus. You get into colleges, especially some of these colleges and dorms are issues. And then you have old buildings with lots of books, like libraries, that a lot of these things have this musty, mildewy stuff on here. You get these storage places that have all the old news articles, all these old papers and everything else stored in damp basements, and they just start accumulating, and this stuff spreads throughout these places there. So mold is very prevalent in almost all the buildings we go into. And one of the major ones that uh, I didn't really have an article on, but I read a bunch of other uh, different interviews with people uh, is churches, temples. Cathedrals, all of these places here are prone to having the same issues. Now, smaller churches are the ones that they see have the bigger problem is because they're not used all week. They're closed off. Not many people are in there. The exposure is at a lower level. So some things will go unnoticed or undealt with, or even if it is found, sometimes the board of the church looks at it and goes, eh, it's not that big of a deal. You know, do we want to really want to put the money to that? Do we want to put into something else? And so the cost factor plays into it. And if it's a small enough level, it may not be something that they really want to look into. So a lot of these places are dealing with this that you may become infected with or exposed to these toxins, unaware that what's going on in the background around them. So just because you don't see it outside out of the mind does not mean it's out of the body. So Dr. Luke, I'm going to let you take over from there. Sure. Thanks, Dr. Kyson. <clears throat> well, I wanted to hit on the uh, limbic system and sinus infections and how this all ties in with each other as far as neural symptoms go. So first of all, a good place to start would be, well, what is the limbic system? Uh, limbic system is an area of a brain, and I want to go ahead and name off those specific points, but I don't want you to worry about those Greco-Latin names. 
I want you to focus on what they do. So we have your amygdala, and this is thought of as the fear center of the brain, but in reality, all emotion is processed by it. It is intimately connected to the autonomic or sympathetic fight or flight response. Next, you have your hippocampus, which is primarily involved with memory and creating new memories, uh, especially connected to smell, sound, and emotional damage to this area may make it difficult to create a safe environment for incoming information or sensations. Next up, you have your cingulate cortex, which integrates input, um, emotional input, which is also connected to memory, learning, and emotional processing. And then lastly, interesting for more systemic issues is you have your hypothalamus, which is the control center for all of your autonomic nervous system function, which is basically what's going on inside of your body while you're not having to think about it. Uh, and this also connects what's called your pituitary gland to the nervous system and your endocrine system, which basically controls and regulates your endocrine or hormonal function. So to sum all that up, I like how Annie Hopper, who invented DNRS, Dynamic Neural Retraining System, her definition on or synopsis on the, uh, the limbic system. Uh, the limbic system interprets all of our sensory information, which in turn decides how our body should respond to external stimuli. The limbic system also involved in our response to stress and our emotional responses to events around us and in our involuntary protective mechanisms like the fight or flight response. It is particularly active when we are under stress or when we are feeling anxious or threatened. And when the limbic system is not functioning properly, threat mechanisms can overfire and distort the interpretation of information, which leads to dysfunction and neurological disorganization. So how does mold tie into all of this? Well, there's an interesting article in which researchers took mice and placed uh, mold spores from the Stachybotrys uh, charterum, or the black mold, and they put it in the sinuses in the nasal sinuses of these mice. Mm -hmm. And the following observations were noted. There was increased immune activity in the hippocampus. There was impairment of cognition and memory and a exponentially enhanced uh, over fear, over anxiety to right. very small stimulus. So granted, this is in a rodent study, but I think it corresponds fairly well with what we tend to see and a lot of our patients who present who present with such symptoms. So another way to kind of think of that is to tie all this together is when you breathe mold in through your nose and it sits in the sinuses, what's close by to that area? Your brain. <laughs> and so think of it this way. When you inhale exhaust from a car, what does that do to you? That's going to make you have headaches. It can cause you to have irritability. It can really set you off. Now think of mold spores just hanging out in your sinuses undetected mm -hmm. and just imagine the effects that that will have on your brains, on your emotions, and on your sensitivity to other chemicals and just life stresses. So this is why it's crucial to make sure that you're living in a mold-free environment, you're working in a mold-free environment, environment if possible. And if you suspect that you or a loved one have mold toxicity, it is crucial that you work with a provider who knows what to look out for. So that said, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Dr. Ben, and he's going to hit on neurosymptoms. Hey, thanks, Dr. Luke. Kind of like, like, like Dr. Luke was just talking about, before I go into the symptoms of the nervous system, I want to address what the nervous system is. So we know the nervous system is a very complex, sophisticated system. 
that regulates and coordinates everything in the body. Now, Dr. Luke just went through and talked about the limbic system and the things that are involved with control of those mechanisms, and that is part of the what we call the central nervous system, which is both the brain and the spinal cord itself. And then we have the peripheral nervous system, which includes the rest of the nerves in the body, which also includes the autonomic nervous system that the limbic system is just controlling. So when we're really talking about the nervous system, there's two major categories that we're talking about. Sometimes we refer to them as the upper nervous system and the lower nervous system. And what I want to focus on is the fact that we know that 80% of the brain is sensory input and only 20% of it of it is actually mechanical output. So let's see what that is, right? So the biggest thing today that I want to talk about is a lot of people experience this, and most people, include family and friends, even healthcare professionals, will simply dismiss it as something either in your head or something possibly you've made up, all because they don't understand the significance of those mold spore exposures that Dr. Luke was just talking about. And what that eventually leads to is a condition that we refer to as mold illness, and it's often the unsuspected trigger of not only chronic health problems, but basically of neurological issues as well. At Docere Life Center, we know that the exposure to mold to mycotoxins can cause specific neurological, neuroemotional, and even neuropsychiatric signs and symptoms. Many of these clinical signs and symptoms can partly mimic or be similar to classic neurological disorders, including pain syndromes, movement disorders, delirium, dementia, and even disorders of balance and coordination. And I'll kind of repeat some of those in a little bit different way here in just a moment. What is clear is that mycotoxins can affect some sensitive individuals and possibly even accelerate the underlying neurological or pathological process of something that is already there. Now, in the genomic aspect, when we look at it, we're, we'll talk about that, is that we know that there are some people that already have some of the symptoms there, and it just takes something to trigger it. And what we're finding is that the mold spore is the thing that actually triggers that to be uh, become effective. So what's crucial is to be able to separate the known neurological and the neuropsychiatric disorders from those of the mycotoxin effects. The problem is that most doctors do not really understand the effects of mold or mycotoxin issues on the human nervous system and or they're not able to contrast the mold cause those issues from other diseases of the nervous system. So most doctors believe that a mold exposure that leads to mold is illness is either very unusual or very limited. But the evidence reveals that those who have been exposed to mold or mycotoxins over a prolonged period of time are experiencing symptoms that do affect the nervous system, like unwrapping what we refer to as the demyelination of the central nervous system. Think of diseases like multiple sclerosis. And then the peripheral nervous system, as it unmyelinates, think of chronic demyelinating polyneuropathy. So I know those are big terms, but those are pretty serious conditions that we know that is caused by mold more than any other uh, autonomic nervous system uh, condition. So some of the other neurological symptoms that include confusion, dizziness, weakness, fatigue, seizures, headaches, walking abnormality, histamine intolerance, which is like a food sensitivity or a chemical sensitivity, light sensitivity, blurred vision, memory loss, verbal recall uh, impairments, ataxia, lack of concentration, and even astigmas. Recent research that has found uh, certain people affected by mold exposure can develop specific mold illnesses, mold illnesses that reveal itself simply as brain inflammation in the hippocampus, as Dr. Luke was talking about. They are the brain that governs memory, learning, and even the sleep-awake cycle or your circadian rhythms. 
It also causes decreased neurogenesis, which is the formation of new brain cells or the repairability of neuroplasticity of the brain cells, impaired memory, increased sensitivity to pain, which means the mechanoreceptors that tell us we have pain are heightened, and so it takes very little uh, insult to cause a pain mechanism, and then even increased anxiety. So the study also noted the mold spore alone is not necessarily the trigger to mold reactions and mold illness as much as it could even be the carcass of it. That's probably a part of the problem. Now, we spoke on previous episodes that the mold spores are small enough to pass through most clothing and even building materials, and they are the primary cause or trigger in mold illness. Some studies have also revealed that the skeletal aspects of that mold can still cause the symptoms of mold illness. So it's almost like the... Uh, the shell of the spore, if it's left up in the sinuses, as Dr. Luke was talking about, it still continues to cause us problems. So researchers link the mold-triggered immune reactivation with these symptoms in the brain and the body, concluding that most mold causes symptoms and illness through the inflammatory effects. Now, we know that symptoms of mold exposure and mold illness can vary from person to person, although mold has most uh, been most commonly correlated with significant increase in breathing conditions like asthma. We also know that people that have been exposed to elevated levels of mold complain of pain, fatigue, increased anxiety, depression, and cognitive defects such as memory loss. Some people just lose hours. Some people even lose days. Right? Researchers say that symptoms following mold exposure are indistinguishable from those that are caused by the body's innate immune system that's been activated after a viral or bacterial exposure. So think of some of the things we've seen with COVID and some of these things that are affected there. That's a, uh, a viral and inflammatory a reaction that's going on. If you've already been exposed to mold, it just makes that even worse. The innate immune system response to mold in the periphery leads to immune activation of the brain, triggering a cytokine release and a loss of newly formed neurons, once again back in the hippocampus, with resulting impairment of learning and memory as well as emotional dysfunction. The effects of mold illness on the brain have been largely dismissed by the standard healthcare model due to what they deem as insufficient research on the neurological effects of mold illness. However, the most recent studies reveal what most people with mold illness already know. It simply messes with your brain. We also know that without some specific actions, the inflammatory condition will continue to ravage systems in the body and progressively damage not only the brain, but the body as well. Remember, that brain controls the entirety of the body. Mold can also trigger or, or exacerbate autoimmune diseases such as Hashimoto's, hypothyroidism, multiple sclerosis, vitiligo, and more. And the more that we want to talk about next is the emotional toll that mold can cause. So now let's have Dr. Caleb discuss that topic. Dr. Caleb? All right. Thank you, Dr. Ben. So as we're sitting here listening to all these symptoms, all these things that uh, can affect people because of mold infection, you know, it's kind of easy to see how this can cause emotional stress or emotional issues right you know just looking at all the physical issues we talked about fatigue weakness muscle cramps you know blurred vision light sensitivity headaches all that stuff and then even getting into the uh, more of the neurological system where we're dealing with the brain and how that can affect you know especially the limbic system when we talk about inflammation occurring or in the in the brain because of those uh, because of the mold infection it uh, can definitely cause a lot of various effects on people affect how they approach things mentally and emotionally and you know we see a lot of disruptions a lot of brain fog fatigue all that stuff that can correlate with this and you know even in younger patients it is easy for this to get 
misconstrued as ADD or ADHD or some learning disabilities. You know, I talked about the um, the family in Texas that had a lot of struggles uh, with mold infection and their youngest ch child they thought had some developmental delays because of that mm -hmm. infection. And so there are a lot of different aspects that this can cause a lot of stress. The financial burden alone can be enough to make most people go crazy, especially if we let it get to a severe stage. And if you think about it, it's kind of like what we discussed with Lyme disease. Lyme disease is usually not the first or the second diagnosis. Same thing with mold. It's usually way down on the list and it takes quite a while from a traditional standpoint to get to that diagnosis and to start making uh, steps to correct it or, you know, appropriate treatments, appropriate recommendations for changing environment. And that allows this situation to become more severe and more costly in the long run. You know, again, that family in Texas, they had to give up their home. This was kind of their dream home for that they were lived in for eight to nine years. And it took them that long to realize that their dream home was actually a nightmare, you know, because it was affecting the whole family. And when we go into talking about, you know, the, how ambiguous the symptoms can be and how hard it can be to differentiate from other diseases or other illnesses, or even if it's psychological or not, you know, the, that same family, the wife had been complaining about issues for a while, but the husband wasn't very supportive because he was like, well, it's just, you know, something going on in the house, you know, just suck it up, you know, deal with it, move on. And then eventually it became this big, huge thing. And they lost not only their house, but most of their belongings that were in the house because the mold spores were on all of those things. And it was kind of like they had to start fresh all over. And that alone, on top of the uh, cost for the treatments, for the medical treatments, and just working on uh, improving themselves or healing from that infection, you know, there's a big, huge burden on this that can affect you in a lot of ways. But I think a really interesting thing that we see a lot in the clinic is more of the emotional aspects, you know, getting into the irritation, you know, sometimes there can be a little bit of depression with it, but usually with mold, we tend to see more of that mold rage or that mold anger. And I think Dr. Craig, you have some personal experience with this. So I'm going to let you, uh, take it away. Well, thanks, Dr. Caleb. Um, it, it, as I was studying leading up to this, what I studied is there's scientists are continually finding increasing evidence of how exposure to toxic mold can really have an impact on both behavioral and neurological problems. And as you guys have both mentioned, they call it mold rage. And this in, can include aggression, erratic behavior, psychoses, including bipolar disorders and schizophrenia, which can lead not only to disability, but even to death. And I had a patient recently who came in and she said, this mold rage thing is, it's real. She said, when I'm around mold, my whole demeanor changes, my whole attitude changes. And when I'm able to get away from it, everything's peace and it's calm and much more easy to deal with. And as I was studying, one of the biggest things is the culprit really is the mycotoxins, which we've talked a little bit about, but Sometimes I think what we forget is these these mycotoxins are so pot potent, they're even used as agents of biological warfare. And so if they're potent enough to be used as that, you know, what are we exposed to all the time? Mm -hmm. One of the studies I found really interesting is there was a study done in 2003 where they took 100 participants who were exposed to mold. And, and what it revealed is 100 percent, 
100% of the people revealed neuro nervous system challenges, including cognitive and emotional symptoms similar to PTSD and traumatic brain injuries. Wow. So wow. this isn't just a simple little, oh, I, you know, like you said, I, I'm a little down or I'm a little upset. This is major issues. And, you know, like you talked about in prison, can you, what if that's part of the problem? Mm-hmm. You know, that you, right. We're locking people up and, you know, they're having all these riots and stuff. What if some of that's being triggered by these mold toxins? So what I also found interesting is it's not just people, though. It's also animals. It talked about animals that get exposed to mold and will walk off a cliff or go down into a chasm and end up, you know, severely harmed or or end up dead because of these mold toxins. So Mm. one of the things that the articles I read is it's not the people who are crazy. It's the mold mycotoxins making them crazy. So I'm not crazy. It's just just my mold. It's just my mold. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting. We we were talking about that, like PTSD and these guys that come over from back from wars, you know, even from, you know, the jungles or from the deserts or whatever they're getting exposed to. And they're over in this stuff in the, in the dirt and everything else. What are they getting exposed to that's trapped in there? That's affecting their limbic system. Right. That may be deriving a lot of the symptomology that talk therapy, while it has its benefits may not be able to fix some of that stuff there, even from the emotional things that are being driven until you get rid of that influencing factor there how are you ever going to be able to work through some of these other patterns there and things that you need to right. because you got to get that out of there. So uh, one thing I wanted to add was when it comes to Lyme or mold or some of these other things here, sometimes you feel like you're crazy because you talk to other people and people are very dismissive and they go, no, that's not true because they haven't experienced themselves or they don't understand right. what's going on there. And so sometimes you feel uh, like a prior or you feel like, you know, nobody else understands what I'm going through or you even start to question what you're going through, if it's even reality or not. This right. is a tough situation for a lot of people because the reality of how they experience the world is a large part how they have influences by the people around them, especially people they respect or trust. And so if you have a parent or a spouse that's telling you to suck it up, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's not that much of a, of a real situation. You just got to work your way through it. And yet you're having a lot of these issues here. Now, there, there is the aspect that you do have to, to try to work through things, and, and it is a, an issue, but you're not necessarily crazy. So when I talk to the people who have Lyme or I talk to the people who have mold or even sometimes parasite stuff, just because other people around them haven't experienced it or don't realize what they're experiencing, don't be dismissive of what you're going through. You are your greatest advocate for your health. And you have to stand up for what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, even though nobody else recognizes it or acknowledges it. It's something that you have to be very adamant about because your health is one of the greatest things that you have and you need to take care of it. One of the other, Dr. Dr. Kaiser, let me add to that. Not only that, but in in some of the new MRI studies they're actually doing on this is they're actually finding destructive processes in the brain, right? And this is one of the few things that, uh, are indicative of not only the severity of it, but the ongoing aspect of it. And a lot of doctors just poo-poo it or just, you know, they don't even address it. And yet research now that's being done since probably in the last 20 years has really proven out the severe damage that these mold spores and mycotoxins that are actually destroying things. Now think about what mold and mold spores do. They eat things right? They destroy things. They're trying to, as we talked about one of the previous episodes, they're recycling things back in nature, if you will. And if that gets trapped inside your brain and your nervous system, and it starts eating it up, 
where are you going to go? What are you going to do? So the sooner you realize it, or the sooner we can find it, and the sooner we can treat it, and we stop that degradation, we stop that things that's destroying that, and we can turn back on the body's ability to repair and regenerate it, then we're going to actually start seeing some different results. So it is it is a real thing, as you guys, of all yeah. of us, have mentioned. Well, one of the things I want to touch on before we close is we've talked a lot about the direct effects of mold. I want to talk a little bit about the indirects indirect effects of mold. One of the things that I was reading about too is mold can create vitamin deficiencies, which then can impact neurologic and brain function as well. The other thing that we haven't really touched on, I don't think in any of our um, episodes yet, is the bioenergetic system and how um, if mold gets in your lungs or mold gets in your gut or mold gets in your liver, how is that affecting this bioenergetic system? I tie in traditional Chinese medicine a lot. You know, they have a theory that different emotions connect with different organ systems. And so let's say, for example, we get mold in the lungs. Well, that tends to be associated with grief and anxiety. So being one of the filler psychological guys in the office, that's one of the things I work to differentiate and go, okay, is this more of a uh, psycho-spiritual issue is or more of a physiologic, uh, you know, a psychologic issue. And so I think that's important to distinguish. A couple other of the organ systems I want to tie into place, the stomach and the small intestine in traditional Chinese medicine are associated with undigestible anger. So we talk about that mold rage. That's another not only direct physiologic, but also psycho-spiritual aspect as well. And then the last one, which I will tie in a little bit next time when I tell my own personal story, is the liver. In traditional Chinese medicine, the liver is associated with um, starvation of love, which in in my theory, love and anger are the flip side of the same coin. It's the same energy, just how it's perceived. And so how much of, can mold be impacting not only the feeling, but the energy of being loved or being angry or being anxious or being you know, sad and depressed. So, and like we talked about, I, I do think it's interesting that mold doesn't tend to be into the depressive state. It's really more of that aggressive, angry, irritated, fire, you know, destructive stage. So as I said, next time I'll take a little bit of time and tell a little bit of my own personal experience and how I dealt with it. But before we close, any other thoughts? You run across people all the time that have short fuses, things that set them off mm -hmm. so easily. Right. Especially even in kids. And you see this, you have kids that come in that have some mood disorders, especially in schools or whatever else. And sometimes it becomes an issue. I had a patient of mine who he'd been having some struggles and we'd been getting in a pretty good place. And they had a uh, tornado drill and they were all taken down to the basement. And it absolutely wrecked him for the rest of the day. The mom had to call and say, I got to get him in right away. I don't know what's going on. He's down in the basement. With, there's mold everywhere down there. And it had absolutely just set him up. And he went into, had an absolute tantrum, just struggling. He couldn't even control it. And he doesn't know why. Right. He doesn't want to be that way. He doesn't right. want to act that way. Right. And th the poor kid just absolutely got just decimated by this exposure to that mold. And, it's, and the school there that they go to, they have all kinds of mold issues throughout the building. And you know, they got to get it addressed, but it's, again, what are the rules and laws? And there's no real, when I was interested, I was reading that article earlier, there's no real statute set up as far as here's allowable levels of what is allowed to have in school. There's not there. Right. And so we send our kids to school into these houses of learning and they can absolutely be having a terrible time, focusing issues, all kinds of things, mm -hmm. trying to learn. So especially kids 
you know, that are struggling in school, this is something I'd always want to double check on, say, is there any exposure here? Is there something they're struggling with? Do we need to clean this up? Because this is not only just going to affect them now, it's going to affect their entire ability to learn and focus and grow, build those disciplines, build that knowledge base to be able to get better and to do more in their life and to excel more because it's going to be very limiting for them, very depressing for them, right. very frustrating. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of these people that are going through this or you worked with bosses or in sick buildings that are short-tempered all the time. They're angry all the time. Something's setting them off. You don't know why. They just have a hair trigger. Right. And so sometimes it's just this is what's driving a lot of that. Right. That's one of the things I think we do so well in our office is really getting at what is really the, the cause. Yeah. You know, is it physiologic? Is it psychologic? Is it bioenergetic? You know, what is the cause that we're dealing with? And so, yeah, I think that's what we do really well. I think with all of us doctors and our different backgrounds here, I think we have a the ability to really cover all those bases really well. We learn well from one another. We right. work together. We bring each other in and we uh, co-treat patients a lot of times. We go, hey, I'm running to this. Come and see what you find. Right. And we work together because we're looking to not only be a unified vision of what we're trying to do, but have all the different aspects and specialties and the flares of each doctor to come in and be able to help out. I mean, I know I've had all of you guys in with me on patients. I've been with most of you guys Mm -hmm. and we go in we learn from one another and we learn how to grow and we we work together as a team, which is what I love. This is a great team. I agree. Okay. Well, we want to thank you for joining us for another episode. We hope that it's been enlightening. So we hope you join us for our next episode where we actually will talk about some victory stories over mold. Thank you for listening to the Docera Digest podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all the episodes and show notes over at doceralifecenter.com. While you're on the website, also be sure to check out the blog where you'll find videos and articles to help you proactively rebalance your health.